Hold on, I gotta get some stuff out of my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't much care for You're this. You're like uh, <laughs> Carrot Top. You have a trunk full of. <laughs> I got a. I got props now. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode number 34, Random Draw, a board game podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Mann. With me, as always, Dave Hubbard. That's me. Mark Belial. Happy Labor Day, guys. Here's the deal. I need you <laughs> to just go with me for a second. Nope. It is Labor Day here You're in the United States. You have a moral and legal obligation to go to your boss's house, maybe set a fire if they don't give you a raise, <laughs> flee to West Virginia, climb a mountaintop, refuse to work for better wages or like better working conditions. <laughs> refuse? Until the federal government bombs you with airplanes. Okay, so I have just one mm, issue with yes. everything mm-hmm. you just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. This podcast will release after Labor Day. Yeah. You still have a right to do it. <laughs> okay. You should save still it, do it. Save it for next year. <laughs> yeah, this podcast is going to come out on Wednesday, so that's two to three, what, three days after, three, ap- two days after. Two days after Labor Day. Labor yeah. Day is eternal. I don't think <laughs> Every day is Labor Day, Dave. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you Labor Dave. You can start oh, calling like me Dave. Pinkerton Dave. I will come to your house, Mark, and I will put you to work. Happy Labor Day, guys. I feel like I've made an inordinate amount of Pinkerton references. You are. On this I'm starting weeks. to wonder about, like, about how that's going to affect our relationship, You know, Dave. I think my problem is I read a book about the Pinkertons, and so they're like real in my brain. I, the thing is, is the Pinkertons have such an adorable name. For what it is that they were. <laughs> I still think it's so crazy that they still exist. Yeah, like it's, it's wild, still right? a company that is active today. Well, lines need to be broken. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> you got to get some workers back to work. Never oh. goes away. Dave. So anyway, <laughs> Labor Day, here's your here's your homework assignment. Google the Battle of Blair Mountain. I'm, I'm for not. sure not doing so that. So if you are listening. I will bing it though. <laughs> if you are listening to us now. <laughs> we are a board game podcast, believe it or not. <laughs> Uh, we don't take any political stances on anything. You we, do, we, we do advocate firebombing your boss's house, <laughs> yeah. though. Nope. 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 No, I for sure do not. All right. Uh, so one, dis- one of three podcast hosts on this program. <laughs> to be clear, Mark Belisle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, like so, keeping okay <laughs> so we review board games here and hopefully speaking of firebombing your your boss's yes. house hey fireball island oh, we fireball here's island. something you can firebomb yeah, you should firebomb your friends <laughs> in fireball island so now we know that dan's a company man yep. he advocates firebombing your friends and not your boss well my friends don't pay me money that's yep. true <laughs> so i got fireball island right before this pandemic started the company that makes it restoration Re- games. thank you i kept wanting to say renegade games i know that's not it so restoration <laughs> games put out a thing that was pay what you want for fireball and they were trying to get some relief for the pandemic and bring a little bright light so they said pay whatever you want mm-hmm. and we'll send you fireball and they made a recommendation of how much you should pay which is like 30 something dollars and the game is our uh, msrp like 60 or something like that so they're like, if you pay 30, that's what we recommend. I was like, I'll pay 30 for that yeah, game. Why I'm, not? Yeah. I'll pay half price or sure. less for that game. So I got mm-hmm. it. And then like no email saying that I paid for it. No anything. I was like, whoops, might have just got scammed. <laughs> <laughs> and Scam. then, yeah, dang it. And then like six weeks later, a box shows up and I open it up and there is Fireball. Hey, okay, yes. there it is. It works out. You should give more people your money more often. <laughs> just hope for the oh, I do. I do it plenty. <laughs> the scam was. This game. Yeah, then this game. Wow. That's, that's my hot take on this so, game. So Fireball Island is a remake of a game from the 80s. 1986. 1986. Oh, the year of me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's me. Oh, sorry. Dude. I was six. Also, so. the, I mean, also the year of Chernobyl blowing up, the 
year the Challenger exploded. Like it was an explosive year. Mark and I exploded onto the scene. Overall, a terrible year. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So in Fireball Island, you play an adventurer, and you're going to this island Mm -hmm. to uh, collect goods and loot and uh, archaeological stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're gonna. You're Indiana Jonesing this island. Essentially, you're Indiana Jones. Except you're not going to put it in a museum. You're like, going to put I'm it gonna sell it. in your bank account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you fly to this island, and bad news for you, though, there are some volcano eruptions happening yeah, while you're here. Yeah, it's not the most stable of islands, yeah. tectonically speaking. Yeah, no big deal. Mm-hmm. You know a helicopter's coming to get you at some point. Some nebulous <laughs> point in the future. <laughs> Just try not to get melted to your bones before then. <laughs> So in Fireball Island, this is a card playing game and a loot collecting type game. Yeah. So it comes with this plastic board that is comes in three pieces and it's elevated and it has all kinds of little terrain pieces to it. And on top of it is rock face that can rotate and yeah. that's where the fireballs come out. And it's yeah. got all these little uh, coconut palm trees mm-hmm. that can rotate as well. They've got a little thing that'll change the direction the marbles or the fireballs yep. will fall mm-hmm. down. They're fireballs, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I they are marbles. marbles. It's not Marble Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's more chintzy than I thought it was going to be. It is... And so the box, too. The box is yeah. really, like, lightweight cardboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the it's, plastic is really light. It really feels a lot like... Uh, so my my awesome sister got me a copy of Mousetrap for my board game. Yeah. Or, or for my <laughs> birthday. For your board game. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Anyway, so for my bird... Di- my <laughs> <laughs> your birthday. Happy, Happy bird birthday. Happy birthday. Tweet, tweet. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's got that very similar super thin cardboard that doesn't really fit all of the components. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, definitely very nostalgic like that yeah and i have <laughs> no idea how i'm supposed to fit this back in the box so there is like a three to four inch like lift on the box yeah from where i just couldn't figure out and i didn't care to keep looking on how to figure this out yeah the puzzle after the game <laughs> so in fireball island you play cards and the cards will have movement on them and as you're moving around this board you can pick up loot as you pass it and then there's extra things you can uh, move the trees. You can knock these uh, rolling rocks down. Uh, try to hit your friends with you them. You try to hit your friends. Or you can play a fireball card, which lets you fireball stuff. You can also steal a gem, the big gem from people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the basics of the game. Like, it's nothing too in-depth. You're just playing cards, moving around, trying to get as much loot as you can. Then when the helicopter comes, you try to get on the helicopter. And then whoever has the most loot at the end of the game is the richest. Yep. <laughs> Which is how you win life. That's if how I you understand run. anything about capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> I understand he capitalism. dies with the most one life. If That's I understand right. capitalism, which I clearly don't. <laughs> if you see my bank account, I do not. Yeah. You are doing this incorrectly. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, Fireball Island, it's not fun. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to say good. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. So, my daughter really likes it. Okay. Which is, she's 8. And it's head and shoulders above normal kids' games for sure. Yeah, because <laughs> like, you mm. actually have a ha- small hand of cards and you're choosing actions. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're making, doing stuff. You're making decisions, right. which is already above that. And it is fun to drop the fireballs and try to hit your friends. Like, that's the coolest it, it, part for sure. Yeah, I wish there was more of that. Yeah, there's only so much of that. And, like, as the game goes on, you, you're you dropping more fireballs down the, the face of yeah. the thing. 
but it's just not that fun. Like, we played twice. I've played more times. I've played more than I want, for sure. <laughs> I've played twice, and that was one time more than I needed <laughs> yeah. to play that game. And it's not that the game is bad. It is it's just... broken. If anything. you have kids yeah. that are in the under eight, I would say, range, fine. This game is perfectly yeah. fine. It's not $60 fine, but it is perfectly <laughs> no. fine. The marbles are marbles. There's nothing fancy there. The components that go with it, like the uh, little minis, are, they're fine for what it is because you need them to be knocked over. Mm-hmm. You so need you, them to be weak and thin. and Right. And, but the trees and the mountain and everything are fine. But the plastic that makes up the whole board is like really lightweight plastic. Yeah. And Unfortunately, the closer you get to it, yeah, the, the worse, worse it looks. It looks. Mm-hmm. It, it's like very like sheet cake reminiscent. <laughs> of. It does look like you could just pour like a mold. Yeah. Like you can make yeah. a mold. Like, it looks fancy, like a, a mountain-shaped cake. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a really ambitious like grocery store sheet cake. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing this when we were at, I want to say, Gen Con last year. Mm-hmm. And I walked by and I saw some people playing it like from afar. Yeah. And it looked really neat. And I did not expect when I got my hands on it to be as disappointed in the component. Yeah, it looks cool. Like watching someone else play it and not knowing the rules or anything. Yeah. You're like, whoa, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, like, the line it, to play it was long. And it's one of the reasons I didn't demo it. Yeah, it takes up a lot of space on the table. But it's just not as mm-hmm. as a game to play. Like, not that fun. <laughs> and we've basically told you all of the rules. So, like, from a teaching perspective, yeah, it's I certainly taught, not hard. I just taught you the game. Yeah, it's definitely like meant for a younger audience, I think. But if I'm going to play a semi-dexterity based game like that, with that is like very easy to teach, very low level, I'll play coconuts before I'll play that. Like I would still go play coconuts. I mean, I'll play coconuts at any point in my life. But I'm saying like, so if you're going to play a children's-esque game, there are really fun ones out there. And I just don't think this is in that category. I'm looking to see if this is like the first release from Restoration Games. No, we've no. played Restoration Games before. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, the is this racing the racing f- game they came Downforce? Yeah, Downforce. Downforce was first. Downforce is great. Too. Yeah, yeah. Downforce, Downforce is good. So good. It's so weird that like, I mean, like I said, maybe it was just meant to be. There's a different something audience. else we played from Restoration. Dinosaur games Tea Party. All right, that's. I mean, that's not <laughs> terrible. No, it's, no. It's huh. Guess Who, but with dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, they make a lot of stuff, and they do cool things like bringing back old games. Uh, and un- I like Unmatched. I, like I guess is uh, Restoration oh. Games as well. And that was okay. Yeah, it was perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. <laughs> Uh, so that's Fireball and there. I mean, there's not a ton to say about it. We don't love it. And it's not like I have more rules to go over. It's not a very long game. No. The no. strategy is hope your friends target someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I wish the marbles had had a little heft because a couple times people get hit by the fireballs and, and they, they don't just knock stop the it. figure mm-hmm. over. Well, they maybe the figure's back. really strong. That's true. You didn't think about that. Dan had a strong figure, and Dan. that's actually not a joke. The little no, the little squat, yeah, the yeah. little squat guy. scientist guy. Yeah, he was like, hard you to knock, knock that dude over, over for nothing. <laughs> he was can't. like the odd job of the party. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't knock him over. He's invincible. All right, <laughs> fireballs mean nothing. We're to gonna me. play for fifteen minutes. <laughs> the limit's twenty-five, and you can't be odd job. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> only pistols. Oh, only pistols. Slappers only. <laughs> we used to play only uh, only mines. I used to play oh yeah, that's only rocket launchers. Yeah, that's all. Also fun for how we played Halo. That's the only way I want to play. All right, let's. uh, This is a board game podcast. Let's rate Fireball Ireland. You want information, Daniel? I don't care. Sure, go ahead. Okay, (laughs) it's Restoration Game. Is it by Restoration Game? It is uh, Fireball Island: Colon the Curse of Volcar, published in 2018 by Restoration Games. We talked a lot about them in episode 30. Swing, swing, hoo hoo. (laughs) We did. We did. We talked about legacy games and. The designers were Rob Daviau. Oh, yeah. Our good friend uh, from episode 30. Uh, He did Pandemic Legacy. J.R. Honeycutt, who did Betrayal Legacy. Justin D. Jacobson, who did Downforce. Chuck Kennedy and Bruce Lund. 
and th- both of those guys were involved with Fireball Island '86. Yeah. Man, the they've been in the title? industry for '86. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, no, no. It's, that's Fireball just, Island '86. Yeah, you know, it's the, from the original Fireball gotcha. Island. And then, uh, as far as the art goes, Noah Adelman, who did Wasteland Express, uh, Victor mm-hmm. Perez Corbella, who did Champions of Midgard, okay. George. Dion, dude, yeah, <laughs> this is it. very long you and very it. Greek. Hold on, <laughs> it's George Dutziopoulos. Yeah. That's probably right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I nailed it. Uh, STEM <laughs> epic heroes: <laughs> David Craig, who did Star Wars: Imperial Assault; Chuck Kennedy, who did this is his first art credit; Bruce Lund, who do also first art credit; and then Jason Taylor, who did Downforce. I don't understand how many why there are so many artists and the art was not amazing. I no. think probably they had to have like mold big people who did the mold oh, yeah. for the the game and stuff because like, the for all of the art defects on the board like the actual volcano head was pretty cool yeah that yeah. thing was the best part Absolutely. of the game yeah and you like lift you could lift it up and move it and rotate it to mm-hmm. try to hit other people yeah, with it yeah so i did uh, you know big ups on i would just keep that i just have that you on my shelf just throw the rest away and just keep that no i mean like <laughs> just maybe have that out on your shelf i have bad games that just sit in my collection it's fine <laughs> what you do is you take it to mark's boss's house where you know it'll be destroyed <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> I'm going to burn it in a fire. I know this is going to catch on fire. Uh, Let's rate Fireball Island on a scale of 1 to 10, but we don't use the number 7 here, so it forces you to pick good game, bad game. (laughs) Unnecessary for this game. Uh, How many Indiana Jones rolling rocks would you give (laughs) Fireball Island? Ooh, Fireball Island. This one's hard. Is it? It is. It's, it's a little tough. <laughs> no, it's not. Because it's going to be on are the you lower. Cho- are you choosing between six and, and eight? No, <laughs> I don't think I have to worry about that. Because like it is kind of an ambitious idea. If you're going to go all out on components, like you got to make sure that they're good. Yeah. Like that they look nice up close. That I mean, like the little palm trees were kind of janky. I got to go with a four here. Four? Yeah, I'm gonna give it a four. Okay. Why do you sound so bad about it? I don't know. It's I not just a very good feel game. bad. It's not talking. very fun. I know. I just feel bad talking trash about a game. That's fine. Because oh, I get it. It's a lot of a lot of hard work goes into these games. But yeah, this one like just disappointing. You're like all broken up. <laughs> just, over. Yeah. It's just disappointing. Is it because it was born in the same year as you were? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted it to be better because I think it speaks personally about me. It's like you. <laughs> it speaks to the quality of those it that speaks, came from 1986. It speaks to, it speaks to Dave and I's quality. It's just you. So looking I mean, in at that him, case, we're really about a three. Then it's just you looking. <laughs> in a mirror rating it yeah yeah much like me fireball <sighs> island looks better from far away <laughs> i guess it's just i don't know a four i guess that's a four from what i'm seeing in this mirror yeah. i uh four one out of ten not using the number seven how many indiana jones rolling rocks would you give fireball island this game is a solid three indiana Hello. jones rolling rocks yeah the only reason it's not lower is because the game does work perfectly fine and i think it actually is perfectly fine for children as well but as far as my enjoyment playing this game it gets a three three for dave you felt a lot more confident about that than my four yeah you know why because i'm rating everything that came from 1986 (laughs) three very confident mark (laughs) okay okay (laughs) i've talked to my parents it's an accurate rating <laughs> uh, Dan, how, what would you rate Fireball in one out of ten? Not using seven. How many Indiana Jones Rolling Rocks would I give it? I would give this game a four. I guess I get why they didn't make it better because it would just run the cost up more. Even and if it's you, already sixty mm, plus, it's already dollars. sixty bucks. <laughs> I don't. I who's gonna spend a hundred dollars on this game if the board's more solid? But I mean, figure something out. You guys are professionals, so <laughs> I don't know how this works. Do gooder. Do gooder. <laughs> I understand good. So uh, I'm gonna give it a four as well. That's Fireball and Restoration Games. <laughs>
<laughs> we, we you need to start the show on a downer is really what yeah it is. that way it's all up from here well we were actually talking about this earlier like we have a very overall positive skew on this show mm-hmm. and there is absolutely a reason for that and it's because we tend to buy and therefore play games we think we will like yeah i mean so it makes sense that most of our ratings are a little higher but it doesn't mean all of the ones we play are winners. If someone sends me a bad game, I will rate it poorly. <laughs> yeah, I will rate a game what I think of it, regardless of yeah, no one's where giving I me money for this. So nope. I don't care. If you did give me money for it, I would still <laughs> rate it the same. Not me, I'd chill. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't you worry. Right. Uh, next game we played was a game called Modern Art, the card game, or just Modern Art card game. Modern Art card game. Modern, not okay. No, there's a board game. But that was from. <laughs> Go on. I'm doing the math in my brain. You could like, do it. Like uh, 16 years? 16. 1992. So. Wow. 2009. You thought that 16 years ago was 1992. No, 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 no. I thought that ni- 16 years after. What the, math is happening here? I don't understand. Cut all this, Dave. It doesn't make no, sense. Go leave ahead. all this in so I understand. <laughs> so it's from 92 is when the board game came out. Okay. And then the card game came out in 2009. Yeah, this is the card so game. So 17 years. So this is a newish game. This is from Simon or Come On or Cool Mini or Not Which or is whatever weird, you want to call it. Because there are no minis in this game. Not a one. Not a lick of Not a Not even mini. the cards. The cards are gigantic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in a modern art card game, you are playing a, a famed art collector. Mm-hmm. You're trying to turn a profit on some paintings you have purchased. Just yeah. like real life. Just like I do in real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm out I'm, there. I'm flipping my Van Goghs and Picassos. <laughs> I'm more of a Banksy flipper. <laughs> so I bought that painting. That... I've got whole walls in my house. <laughs> I bought that painting he tried to shred. <laughs> so in uh, modern arts. You are collecting these paintings. And the cool thing about this game is there's all the cards are tarot style size, mm-hmm. but every card is an actual painting by these five artists in the game. And I am not going to go through and tell you their names because I not one is easy to say. <laughs> uh, one's named that's Tech. Great. Yeah, that's so, yeah. T-E-C, tech. It's really neat, though, because each of them has a completely different art style. Absolutely. Um, and then every single card is then a different painting, but in that style from that artist. Yeah, so, it's really cool. Yeah, I, visually, I, the art in this game is amazing. I love that they used real artists. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so awesome. And then in the rule book, it goes over the artist, too. It'll tell you mm-hmm. like a little uh, bio about, about the artist, which I thought was awesome. So in the game, you'll have the five artist cards face up in the middle, and they're just generic. They tell you how many of those cards are in the deck, and that's it. And they just use to hold money. So when you're playing the game, you're laying down artist cards. If you're playing a three to five player game, the first art set from one artist to get to six between all the players ends that round. Mm -hmm. And then that player is obviously the most popular artist. So their paintings are worth the most. So a three would go on there. The second most uh, $3 like little token would go on there. The second most popular one would get a $2 token. The last one would get a $1 token. And then for how many paintings from that artist you have you get three dollars for the most popular per painting you have so if i have three i get nine dollars and then that money stays because that artist is still a very popular artist throughout the game so it's really cool and then any other artists artist cards you've played that aren't those top three don't score because no one's buying Mm-hmm. No one's buying that crap. Yeah I, yeah, I need to buy what's at the top of the market right now. I only buy expensive art. <laughs> well, what is the point of having art in your house that isn't popular? Exactly. Am I right? That's guys? why I don't yeah. hang my own yeah. art. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
So this game's played over four rounds, and that's how you play the game. We just told you all the rules. The only difference is some of the art cards have special abilities, and there's only like five. They're like play another card of the same artist, everybody play another card, play a card face down, draw a card, or make an artist increase its price by $2 for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it's really easy to teach. This is actually, my wife Amber picked this one, and she learned the rules. This is like the first game that she learned. Aww. She actually learned the rules too. And rules she did, mama. Yeah, rules she, mama. <laughs> she did a great job explaining it. And uh, I didn't have any questions, really, as we were playing. Mm -hmm. And then she wiped the floor with me. Yeah, well, as she do. As she, yeah, <laughs> what, I mean, that was going to happen regardless yeah, of who learned yeah, the rules. Who, who, yeah, who am I to uh, second-guess my second-place nature? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's really the, the gist of the game. It's not too hard. It's certainly not a very heavy game. It's, it's really light, but it's really well done. Yeah, and yeah. it just plays over four rounds, and you have so many cards in your hand that's during what, these rounds. And that's what Mark has little like mice baby hands mm -hmm. yeah yeah so he was having problems holding all the cards mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i can't i mean exactly like my hands are what they are i'm not ashamed of them but it would have been nice to hold be able to like do not a two hand hold <laughs> yeah because you had to like pick out the card and then set your hand down with both <laughs> exactly hands and then play your i had to like shimmy the card down. out of my grasp in order to you know, like you just the... had five sets of face down cards in front of you for each color yeah 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 and i was just like all right this i know time. these are red <laughs> yep i liked this game quite a bit yeah me too it's super it's so like so easy going down it's real quick too yeah, yeah. very fast very Four easy rounds, to learn just quickly done i like that uh first player token moves around the table every round Mm -hmm. but whoever ends the round definitely will get to play more cards than you. But in our experience, that didn't matter. So I, I sat next to Dan, who decided to end three of the four yeah. of mm -hmm. the rounds. Yeah. I'm a decider. <laughs> Which means that um, <laughs> I, I played one less card than Dan and or Mark at least three times, mm -hmm. and yet I still won. Mm -hmm. So like it's not a thing that stops this game from being very fair and balanced. No, absolutely. And and a lot of your how well you're going to do is based on what cards you have, right? You can oh, try yeah. to influence it the best, but if everyone's playing green and you don't have any green, like yeah. I'm not going to have any good high scores for green on this round, and it's definitely going to be one of the scoring art. It's interesting. It's really interesting, and it's something that you have to pay attention to what other people are mm -hmm. playing because it can end the round at any time, and you don't want to accidentally end the round yeah. by playing something. Yeah, you want to on purpose end a round when you are going to come out on top. Exactly, which is who knows when that is. <laughs> I'm not doing math before. <laughs> but I did like that. Like So many games like this Tableau Builders, there's very little player interaction, and this yeah. one has a ton because you're constantly looking at what everyone else is playing. Yeah. That's dictating the popular art that round, so mm -hmm. you have to pay attention. Yeah. I I do love the mystery, the like the mystery aspect of like having cards face down in the tableau as well. Yeah, because you're it's you're like, banking. Oh, what are we What are we doing over there? What's oh, yeah. Dan, what's what's Dan yeah. building over there? I'm so curious on what he could be trying to get points. And that's for. also a, a good way. Like, let's say you think green's gonna win. Well, you don't want to end it too early, but you also want to play more green. So you're playing greens face down just to boost your score at the end, <clears> and <throat> then someone else ends it or something, and greens in first. That's like a great feeling. Or you play yellows down, and yellow doesn't finish in the top three. And that's, yeah. Or you're play, an idiot. Or you play green and blue down, and then neither of them finish the top three. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's when you're starting a round, it's kind of a crapshoot because you don't know what other people have. So mm -hmm. I can play a red down and think like, oh, good, red's worth a lot, and then no one else has any. So I'm trying to push red, and no one's biting. Right. And now I'm just wasting red cards. Yeah. 
So I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. And it plays up to five players, which I think would be cool. I have nothing but good things to say about yeah, this, really. Yeah, agreed. And the box is small, and it's magnetized. I can't, oh, it makes me so mad. Can we talk about magnets for a second? <laughs> sure. How do they work? <laughs> First off, how do they work? <laughs> second off, why does my copy of hats not have magnets, whereas Dan's copy of magnets... No. No. Yeah, Dan's copy, Dan's of, copy of hats does have magnets. Mark bought hats a while ago. And I love and, it. And Yeah, we all love it. We've my only complaint about the game was the fact that it didn't have a magnetized lid to keep everything held right. inside. It looks like a book, right? And uh-huh. it just seals down, or it should. Um, I'm sitting at work, and I get a text message <laughs> from Dan. A video text, uh, And I open it up, and it's a video. And it's a picture of Dan. Fully clothed. Fully clothed, <laughs> which was disappointing, but also not surprising. <laughs> it was also uh, just your hand. <laughs> so I we don't a, actually know. I don't actually know. I had a glove on. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, like, got a copy of hats. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, his hot copy of hats came out. I thought he was just showing me. And then, like, he's, like, form. closing the lid, and I hear it audibly lock. And then, like, he shakes it. Yeah. And nothing comes out. And I've never been so like confused slash annoyed about a board game thing. Cause I thought like, oh, maybe he just magnetized yeah, his yes. own his Because that's thing. what you sent in the next text, like, oh, did you use those magnets? And I said, nah, man, it came like this. And I thought <laughs> I thought you were just joking around. Yeah. And then like I got I get here today and I find out no, it actually no, came thing. magnetized. Well, it's and funny. I was like, Are you kidding me right now? So like, Amber loves hats. Yeah. And it's good. It's a great game. I have no problem playing it all all the time. We ordered our own copy and it came. And I was off doing something and she's like, Oh, look. And I was like, Yeah, I, I mean I knew it was coming. Like <laughs> cool it's here <laughs> which she like no but look yeah and then she like lifts open the lid and i was like okay like it's yeah it's the exact same game as mark's hats and then she like moves the lid so the two pieces are close and then she lets it go and it's like click and, and then she holds it upside down and of course nothing comes out and i was just like ooh. <laughs> and then i stopped whatever i was doing i was like i gotta send a video to mark right because like every time we play this game i'm like i always say i wish this was magnetized so that yeah. all of my things don't fall out of it yeah i don't know i wonder if you got a defective copy maybe you only got one magnet <laughs> like they didn't put <laughs> yeah. a second magnet. I don't in. know. It's so weird. Anyway, it doesn't change the fact that I love the game. But boy, it was such a. I think we reviewed hats two episodes ago. If you want to go yeah. check that out, maybe something like that. Something like that. So let's uh, rate modern art on a scale of one to ten. Not using seven, Dave. How oh, do you ma- want information? From oh yeah, Jesus. Sure, I, sure, I don't know. We- <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. It's kind of my thing. I have to keep justifying my own existence here. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to find somebody it's, new. It's fine. We know 1986 was garbage, but you're trying to redeem it. <laughs> Modern Art, published in 2009 uh, by Simon Games. Simon uh, published Arcadia Quest, yep. Dan's favorite game of the century of the week. Uh, <laughs> of 2018. For a long time now. Yeah. I know. I was going to say, Arcadia Quest is like undefeated as far as games of the century of the week. For me, yeah. Yep. Designed by our good friend Renier Canizia, sure. who did uh, Shot and Totten. Don't know what that game is, but it sounds, it sounds <laughs> like so much it. fun. Uh, and then the quest for Eldorado. Which is great. Art credits. Hold on. Buckle up. Are you ready? I'm just going to give you like give a me- super Cliff Notes version of the art. Edgar Degas. Vag- Wagner. Do you Kuroya. think it's Degas? Degas? Daga. No, because it's not it's not got the O. The E A U. Mariana Martins, Claude Monet, Paul Niemeyer. Claude Monet? Yeah. <laughs> very famous artist. Yeah. Very famous I like artist. You cruised right over that. I'm I'm cruising by all these guys. It doesn't matter how famous you are. Okay. Uh, Pixel Productions Inc., Pierre Auguste Renoir, uh, Nicolas Sanchez, Denise Gillian Tan, Tech, T E C, Vincent Van Gogh, and Johannes Vermeer. 
credits. I a lot. Lo- a lot. A lot yeah, of art credits. A lot of arts game. going yeah. into this game. If you're interested in any of those artists, uh, use Google. Yeah. <laughs> Look uh, them up. I don't you know, know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, uh, Go on. Vincent Make Van Gogh yeah. with the Swirly Sky. Starry if, Nights, I believe that painting's called. <laughs> swirly, swirly Sky. sky. <laughs> What's that painting? Swirly Sky? Swirly Sky, you That's know. That's the one. Yeah. So, modern art. Dave, on a scale of one to ten, not using number seven, how many Van Gogh ears would you give modern <laughs> art? <laughs> Now I feel like I can't give it an odd number. <laughs> or or should I you give it an odd number? So, so it's got to be a nine, right? <laughs> uh, this game is a solid eight for me. I had a lot of fun playing it. I think it's got a good footprint. Um, I don't think I'd want to play it a ton, but I would happily play it again. Dan, how many modern art ears would you give? <laughs> modern, modern art ears? Modern art ears. <laughs> yeah, they're just squares. I don't want Renaissance ears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, out, one out of ten not using seven. One out of ten. No, one to ten not using seven. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> I'm going to give it an eight as well. I actually really like this. It was funny because she picked this, and we were in the board game store. She picked this, and there was another art game that I had actually heard of, and I was like, oh, maybe you should get this. I've never heard of this modern art. She's like, I'm going to do what I want, and that's how she talks to me. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. And then she got I'll it. I'll for that. Yeah, and it was really good. I, I have no complaints about it. The game's really, really fun. Easy, super easy to teach. The art is, of course, amazing. They're professional yeah. artists. All makes sense. Yeah. Mark, uh, modern art, one to ten, not using seven. How many Van Gogh ears would you give modern art? Sweep it. Give me eight. Eights, baby, all Love around. It. Really great, fun. Enjoyed it. <laughs> Art's amazing. Game, good life. Game. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, unlike Dave, would like to play this a bunch of times because yeah, I could like... figure the strategy. Eventually, you would stop playing the game and start playing each other. Oh. You know, it's like the real world of uh, like, card games. It's like Skull. It's like what happens when you start stop being nice and start being arty <laughs> you stop being old and start being modern yeah <laughs> so yeah give me eight I love that's it. modern art from simon games modern art card game check it out cool game it was cheap as well which is nice yeah, yeah. Always, always always nice always, always, a a good, always a pleasant surprise <laughs> when you get a good game for cheap oh 20 okay so the last game we're going to talk about is not so much a game but an expansion and we probably won't rate this because we didn't rate the other ones, but we're definitely going to talk about it a little bit. Always up front, we were sent this game to review. Uh, this is Everdell Belfair expansion. We got all the expansions. We're working our way through them, but it is that is a lot of game. Yeah, it's like the season of Everdell over here. It really is. We only <laughs> got one left to do. So I mean, uh, we'll it'll be going. We'll be going into fall. We're going to have Spire all of our workers. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get the full complement. So if you are unfamiliar with Everdell, listen to our last episode. We uh, do a pretty good review. Well, I mean, we do a review. <laughs> we do <laughs> the best review the of best. Everdell that's out there. Mm-hmm. We certainly <laughs> did the best we can. Yeah. yeah. It is the, the number one rated review that I was a part of. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most nuanced, for sure. So, uh, of course, Everdell is a, a cute worker placement game with uh, wilderness animals. So the story behind Belfair is it is the king and queen of Everdell. It is the 100-year anniversary, so mm-hmm. they're going to put on this big fair. Uh, the Belfair expansion adds another board that you can put on top and more critters to use, so it's just a higher variety of critters. But it also does a cool thing. 
and this isn't optional, but it gives characters powers. So each character mm-hmm. will have a power. I don't think I had like the squirrel power and I didn't use it ever. I had but, a frog power and I used it three or four times. Yeah, it's just each one has different powers. None of them break the game. Nah, it's just a, a little thing to add some more flair. It's a little extra spice. A little spice to the forest, if you will. A little spice to your critter stew. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> No oh, critters no? Are, have been cooked in this wilderness. <laughs> Hopefully. Right. Uh, I mean, if they have, I bet they're delicious. <laughs> you guys says ever, the vegetarian. You guys, ever, you guys ever have cardinal croquettes? <laughs> oh, I, I've not, but I would. Uh, so so the map on Belfair does a, a couple things. It adds a little marketplace up top where you can trade and sell goods. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's four slots. If they are available, you will take the goods and move it to the sold. And then you can go to the market and you can sell those goods and get gold in return for it. Gold and cards in return for it. And then it flips back to the available so someone else can go back and get it. And it's just like a little cool action thing that you can add on to the game. Mm -hmm. It's not, again, not game breaking. It's just something that adds more to the game. And then there is another like project you can do where if you have one of each of the different types of cards, you can claim this four point four victory points flower fair or whatever it was called. Yeah. I the crown know. of roses. It's not what it was called. But <laughs> but it's I like it's like that giant it. flower wreath thing they put over the horse after the Kentucky Derby or whatever. Oh yeah. That's so yeah. topical. Dave. It's like I know that's running today. Is it? It yeah. is. Yep. You know what? I bet I saw it on the these TVs in the studio earlier. And <laughs> it just <laughs> like in the back of my brain. Soaked right into your gray matter. <laughs> Now I'll say it. (laughs) Now I'll say the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) It just adds a little more flair to the game. A lot of times with the base game and the Pearlbrook expansion, there are special events that are really hard to get, and they're very, very specific. So it'll be like you have to have the church, and then you have to have the teacher. So if you have both those, you can claim this. But it's so hard to get this combination of two things that don't really go together. In Belfair, they add a couple more simpler ones to get. So it'll just be like if you have two of the blue flower buildings, you can claim this prize. Yeah, it mm-hmm. basically makes it more doable. Yeah, because yeah. the other ones, I, I think maybe once or twice I've seen anyone claim them otherwise. It's so hard to do, and it's, most of the time I forget. so conditional. It's yeah, like, it really is. It really has to like work out that you way. You have to go for it, and mm-hmm. even then. And then also get lucky in your card draws, and right. no one else takes it from the <laughs> middle tableau. Mm-hmm. Right, because the, the deck of cards, right, and just the base game of Everdell is huge. Mm-hmm. And then with expansions, you're always adding extra cards, like the Pro Book expansion has more cards and it just adds uh, more to it. I don't know if it's cool or not, but you can play all these expansions together, like just one massive board. And you can have a million things to do. We haven't done it yet, but I do want to do it at least once just to say like we played everything. Yeah. We played <laughs> yeah. the Everdell universe together. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll do that next time after we do Spire Crest. But uh, Mark, what do you think of Belfair, the Belfair mansion? You know, we had that whole discussion last episode about how Pearlbrook was kind of, at least from Dave and I's perspective, a bit of a letdown. The, the poor perspective. Go on. <laughs> yeah, 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 the yeah. 1986 perspective, <laughs> yeah. which as we've ascertained is it's super trash. trash. <laughs> uh, I hesitate to use the word disappointed, but we were I underwhelmed. Was not, yeah, I was not warm to it. Yeah. I love Everdale, the game, mm-hmm. uh, but I would like to play not with the uh, Pearlbrook. Pearlbrook expansion. Boy, Dave, again. if you thought Pearlbrook left you a little cold, what do we play Spirecrest? I don't understand that joke. It's on the mountains. It's the, the box art's all cold and snowy. Never mind. Hmm. That joke went over real well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, don't worry. That's what I do here. There's there's nothing better than when you say a joke and someone makes you explain it. <laughs> yeah. I'm only here to disappoint. 
Now tell me the minutia of your joke so I can try to understand yes, where you're coming yes. from. Yes, yes. I understand that you're attempting to make a joke. Please intellectualize <laughs> it for me. Um, I actually liked Belfair quite a bit more. I, mm-hmm. I thought this added kind of like having the, the marketplace yeah. is awesome. Most styles of these games can be like really improved by having a place to just buy stuff, even if it's like at a higher price. If you just need stuff to get like having a, an opportunity to get it from the game organically. Right. And the art, I mean, again, always good. Always mm-hmm. good. I love the new factions that they added. The Cardinals yeah. were a big hit with me just cause I like birds. Um, <laughs> and I like the color <laughs> the, red. The end. Yeah. I like birds. It was nice. It was really cool being able to like have that little section of the board to add. Yeah. It didn't add a ton. Gives you a little section to um, just get something in case you, because certain things are harder to get, right? Berries and mm-hmm. stones are really mm-hmm. hard to get. And depending on the flip, like the the advanced placement spots in the forest, like sometimes those can give you more stones or more berries. It depends on the randomness of yeah. it. So if you don't get any of those, the marketplace gives you that opportunity to kind of get a couple extra things that maybe you wouldn't have before, yeah. which is awesome because sometimes you it's hard. To, like if you have a handful of birds or uh, critters and you need berries, the only place to get one berry at a time, like it's rough. It could be a yeah, rough it, go of it. it. Yeah, that's you're looking at a really hard game. But it works good too for the person who's got like a bunch of farms already built. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I have all this food I can sell back to the market. Exactly. So, yeah. Like if you've yeah. produced an engine that produces anything and somebody has turned it to the sell side, you can make a fair amount of money on it. Yeah. Man, did I engine build this game yeah, too. Yeah, you really did. This one, especially <laughs> this, this one, one. especially. I am much warmer on this one. I really like this expansion. Mm-hmm. I would perfectly happily play Everdale with this expansion every time well we're gonna play with all the expansions i can't can't actually wait to do that it's gonna gonna, gonna take up so much room (laughs) it will but the biggest thing i liked about this expansion especially over pearlbrook is this expansion took a lot of the base ways to get victory points and just made them simpler Mm -hmm. and so instead of feeling like i had to go for this like massive victory point thing out there uh this just said no Here's a couple more options to get some new stuff. And here is a simpler way to get a couple of victory points from various ways. But most of the game still is encouraging you to focus on building your little critter town. And I think I sort of realized that's my favorite thing to do in this game. Mm -hmm. I want to build my critter town and look over and see my little happy critters and their buildings and what they're doing and their interactions. And I feel like Pearlbrook took me a little bit away from that. Now, mind you, that was a decision I made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have still done it this way, but Pearlbrook added such massive victory point things that you could get that I felt like I was pushed in that direction. Personal feeling, absolutely, but that's what I did. Whereas this one, man, I just built my little town and it was a lot of fun. Of course, we we haven't gone over Spirecrest yet, but... I think the good thing they do with all the expansions, they don't change the base game that much. Exactly. Everything stays the same, and they're just adding little tweaks. Like, you don't ever have to go to the market in this game if you don't want to. Like, you could just play the base game, essentially. And (laughs) same thing with Pearlbrook. You don't ever have to send your frog ambassador to do those things. Like, you could keep playing the base game. Like, it's such a smart way to do things. Because a lot of times, if you're playing a game and they add an expansion, it could change a lot of the rules, mm-hmm. yeah. and it could be for the good or bad. But this, like, Everdell's such a solid game on it by itself. I saw all these expansions, like, oh my god, like, how much is this going to change? And the gameplay itself doesn't really change, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah, because the gameplay is good. If it was bad, like, then I'd be even sadder. Because yeah, you know, you're not, <laughs> it's your really, sucks. it's really just a matter of like, what's your preferred flavor of Everdell? Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want like to build? Big, huge things. Yeah. I don't. Pearlbrook. If you want to build your city and then I have do. a marketplace, 
than you know Belfair. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with Spirecrest. Yeah. Spirecrest with the mounts and everything. I think. Yeah, it's I don't think be... they're mounts. I think they're just big animals. No, you clip your guy on the back. Oh, really? Yeah, that's there's awesome. like a little saddle you put mm-hmm. on it, and oh, your little so character cool. goes on it. The other thing that I really like, and this is so like such a small thing, but so the Everdell bear board, I think Mark said it, looks like a pallet, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the board looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, these other boards that attach, they don't attach to it, they just slide next to it. The boards match up. Yeah. So the trails match with these other boards you put on it. Yeah, the which, art all matches. Which is great. Like, it's just such a cool thing. Because once you do have it all together, it looks like, oh, maybe it came like that. It's one piece of a board. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's mm-hmm. such a, like, a minor thing. I'll see it, like, move a little bit. and like, oh, no, these trails aren't matched up. <laughs> like, I'll move it back. There we I, go. That's better. I nudged it a couple of times just to see how long it would take Dan to finish. Just like, I'm just <laughs> staring at it with tears rolling down my eyes. Like, <laughs> and that's the, ruined it. that's the cool thing, too. I love this. Like I said, I, when we covered it the first time, like the modularity of board games lately. It was a fancy word. Yeah. It is, you know, again, when I have to like flex a little bit after I say things like, I like birds. Uh, <laughs> But um, just having that modularity in a board game where all of the art is easily swappable, yeah, mm. and like it doesn't change the core experience that much. Again, like you talk about Taverns of Tiefenthal, like mm-hmm. it's got a very similar vibe where it's like, oh, it's so easy to add stuff, yeah, that doesn't detract from the main game. So with the Pearlbrook expansion, right, especially art wise, so the Pearlbrook's like a lot of water based and underwater. So all those cards. They look exactly like the rest of the cards. Like they look like the forest cards, but just underwater. So like it's not some crazy different art style. Mm-hmm. It's just an underwater art style that would match perfectly with it. And it's just such a good job, like such good art design that it just goes right along with the whole theme. It's so it, I can't say enough about this game. Mm-hmm. And I hate it got sent to us. So I don't want everyone to think like, oh, they got it. So it's like, let's chill for it. But it, it's the game so good. Yeah. Yeah. And but again, I haven't played the non-collector's edition. <laughs> I was so going to say <laughs> also shill for it. I hated Pearlbrook. <laughs> so oh, yeah, not, yeah, no, I mean, just not really uh, Everdell in general. Yeah, yeah, but like, that game is good. Like, yeah, Everdell just, is a great it's game. It's so good, and I kind of wish we would have got it, like, two years ago when we saw it for the first time. <laughs> but I was just like, $80? But now if I could go back, like, that's $80 well, well spent. Because, yeah. like, this game's so easy to play, and yeah, it, as, as much as we focus on games we haven't played before, like, I could picture us consistently like oh, yeah, pulling out Everdell. Everdell. And it's so easy for every mm-hmm. like everyone in our group really likes it. Like yeah. both our wives really like it and it's yeah. just easy to play. I mean Everdell Belfair just adds a fair. It's not a big deal. But <laughs> it's so good. Do you want a fair in your Everdell? Do you want- <laughs> Ooh, let's do let's do quick round table. Mm-hmm. Uh favorite childhood fairs. Oh, my favorite childhood fair was it was an air show fair when I lived in Florida. A, f- a fair show. Yeah, fair show. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm wandering on this air show, and my favorite display at the air show was this giant, oh, what's it, like roped off area, mm-hmm. and it had a guard standing in front of it and a guard standing in the back of it, and there was nothing inside of it. It had a sign in front of it that said B2 Stealth Bomb. Yeah, I figured I- <laughs> that was my favorite thing. I laughed so hard. Yeah. I still think that's funny, and I was like 12. That's a pretty yeah. clever joke. Yeah. As, you were descri- as you were explaining it, I was like, I know what the joke is. The it's joke funny. was good. Yeah, yeah. The joke was good. Funny. And it's I mean, joke. like, air shows, especially when you're a kid, are so much fun. The Blue Angels are there. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. watching air shows is always a blast. Sure. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I haven't been to a lot of fairs. I guess the California State Fair would be mm-hmm. my favorite just because it's like, it's massive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, I've i never been, but I bet a Renaissance Fair would be fun. Oh, yeah. Ren fairs are a lot of fun. I, 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 I saved one year. I just yeah. want to eat a big turkey leg. Mm-hmm. I do like eating a big turkey leg at a Ren fair. Yeah. When I ate meat, I enjoyed it. 
big turkey. Like, <laughs> you still sw- actually, we went to the Ren Fair so many years ago. You did eat meat. That was the last time I had meat. Was really? at that Ren Fair. Uh-huh. You know what? I feel honored. And yeah. also, if I recall, it didn't go well for you at the end of that. Day. No, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I had the chicken tender basket, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was and a turkey leg, and yeah, and uh, you know, it's a lot of grease, is what I'm gonna say. Yeah. And Ren Fair bathrooms are um, places where dreams go to die. You- <laughs> You, you know what I want to do? I've never done it. Is one of those um, medieval? Oh, medieval times. Yeah, like a medieval. Oh, time. I've done it two or three times. I would That's love a lot to of fun. do that. Yeah. You know what's weird is they tell you to call your waitress a wench, and I can't quite do yeah, it. I was gonna say I, I can't. Like I couldn't. That. I couldn't do it. Okay. Excuse me, ma'am, Mrs. <laughs> yeah. Wench, <laughs> Lady Wench, Lady Wench. <laughs> I got two moms. You know I can't say that to a woman. Uh, Mark, what's your favorite fair? Ooh, favorite childhood fair. I think it has to be the Apache Rattlesnake Festival in Oklahoma. <laughs> What life that have doesn't you even led? have the word fair in it. No, I know, but it was like a big, huge community get together that they have in um, have in Oklahoma. It was basically like an excuse to go out and gather up rattlesnakes. It's kind of like Whackin' Day in The Simpsons. Never you mind. make a lot of <laughs> do make a lot of Simpsons. Reference. Reference. I know. I Dave, tell us, Dave and I tell you every week that like we haven't watched The Simpsons in like twenty years. Yeah, yeah and even okay. then, only a few episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because I haven't watched The Simpsons in like twenty years. But I guess it's just that formative for me. <laughs> I can tell you the one episode I remember The Simpsons the most, and it's the monorail episode. Monorail. Yeah. yeah. Conan yeah. O'Brien wrote that. So they yeah. would go out and you'd like hunt snakes, and there'd be big cash prizes for the person who got the biggest rattlesnake. And then they'd have all these snakes in a giant pit, not in the ground, but like a kind of like a hockey rink style thing where you've got like a hard concrete floor with walls. Yeah. And um, yeah, you just have thousands of snakes in this pit. And then and then then what? what? Yeah. And then (laughs) and then and then then you would call them like you you could like you could get snakes butchered to like bring home for me. What? Yeah. This is like a mass snake butchery. It is. Yeah. That's super weird. That's your favorite. That, yeah. Because it was cool. It was like, well, it was such yeah. a. It's weird that it's your favorite. It's your favorite one. <laughs> yeah. No. It was just. Uh, it's just kind of a cool thing because well, like the entire town of Apache would shut down, and you just have like thousands of people. Well, like, if we're his... doing fairs, not called fairs. Okay. Uh, the the frog jump in Calaveras County is my favorite one. Yeah. Obviously. Oh yeah. Clearly. So you people, unlike yours, no nothing gets slaughtered, but people <laughs> people go catch frogs and then you get them to jump on the stage so you like there's a crowd of people watching mm-hmm. these people and you like get these frogs to jump and if after three jumps whoever's frog has the most the longest they win like a cash prize so people come from like all over with these frogs that's true and then afterwards demolition derby <laughs> <laughs> It was a weird yeah. time, but nobody died. I mean, Can nobody got slaughtered, animals or people. I'd like to just point out that this is good evidence to me that America is one of the greatest places on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Mine was this is just insanity. Yeah, it's mine, just all crazy talk. Mine was based off of Mark Twain because Mark Twain lived celebrated in Calaveras Calaver- County. Yep, the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. Yep, and it was like this whole story about how this guy challenged another guy to a frog jump and fed he him lead shot. Fell him lead, <laughs> fed one frog lead shot so it would lose this frog jump and then he went. What this a crazy story. That's yeah, a story by Mark Twain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how crazy it is. So yeah, celebrated American thinker Mark Twain. Yep, you can go you can go to uh, in Calaveras County. I lived in a town called Angels Camp. You can go there and see where his old cabin was. Like it's still mm-hmm. standing. That's you can cool. go look at yeah. it. It's pretty cool. I went to Mark Twain Elementary School. Samuel Clemens. Yep, Samuel Clemens. Undefeated. Undefeated. <laughs> All right. It's yeah. confusing. Is this commercial you saw that made you think of Kentucky Prob- Derby? Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, so that's that's uh, Everdell Bel- Belfair. So great game. So check us out. Uh, we'll talk about Spirecrest next episode. Next episode, I 35. guess. So, uh, Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Scott Tunes. <laughs> Sit in your car and wait until it comes out. <laughs> it's, only, it's only two weeks. You're fine. It's fine. Let's move on. Every week we do something called Talkic, and uh, Dave and I have nothing to do with it other than commenting on what mm-hmm. Mark says. We're, we're like the audience in this, in that we ask the questions that hopefully you would also be asking. We are the live studio audience. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. I was curious if Arsenio was going to make a return. He's always here with us in, <laughs> in spirit and in my heart. Yeah. Uh, so Mark does a Talkic, and he comes up with all of the information here. So if it's wrong, it is on him solely mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but if it's right it is a group effort <laughs> I, yeah. I like this yeah it's good i, I like... did have to put an editor's note in one episode <laughs> that's yeah. very true one little thing no big yeah, deal that was my first one you know i was like testing it out all that research and i still screwed it up but you know <laughs> so I, this is so the new york week... times <laughs> so this week's topic mark gave us several items to choose from and then we started the show so we never selected <laughs> that's very true so uh, Mark will just pick whatever he feels like doing this week. So Mark, this week's topic will be... I think it's going to be volume three of Bad Guys of Board Game History. Oh, bad guys. So, nice. so let's give him a, just a little reminder. So the mm-hmm. first Bad Guys of Board Game History was Ira Glass. Not Ira Glass. <laughs> uh, nope. nope. What's his Ira name? Glass does Marvin this Glass. Marvin Glass. <laughs> Marvin Glass. Marvin Glass. Uh, and then yeah. the second Bad Guy of Board Game History was uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. It, <laughs> it's not political at all. It was just he made a board game and it wasn't great and there might have been some minor swindling. There was definitely <laughs> might have been. Was definitely yeah. some minor swindling. Some minor swindling. Tax yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no big definitely, deal. Definitely, I really am proud of both of those episodes. You guys should go check them out. Oh. And then, so this week's uh, bad guy board game history, Charles Darrow. Charles Darrow. Sounds like an old Western gunfighter. <laughs> he does sound like a Western. Like, uh, meet me at high noon. Oh, no, you're not fighting Charles Darrow, are you? <laughs> oh, no, not the Monopoly kid, Charles Darrow. <laughs> Is that what this is, Monopoly? We're talking about Monopoly Hey-o! this week. Not a great game. Time to trash capitalism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, guys, let's talk about Charles Darrow. As you guys know, uh, we've kind of mentioned that he is the quote-unquote <laughs> creator of Monopoly. Is the that... fact that you do that whenever you want to say quotes is ridiculous. Was that... <laughs> yeah. Did that... You go... Do people know that? Is that like a universal thing? It, or is it, is... it a Mark I only thing? know it from Mark. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so this is like one of the more well-known <laughs> <laughs> stories of bad guys of board game history is what I'd say. Uh, whole books have been written about this subject. Okay. Mm-hmm. I haven't read any of them. Excellent. <laughs> All of my research is like from articles and interviews with people who wrote the you book. should write a book you should write a book about all this stuff you've been doing and call it bad guys of board game history i kind of i'm kind of into it to tell you the truth yeah I, i've been i've been considering it i'm I'll willing to f- put word about out about it i'll write the foreword <laughs> and i'll oh, yes and it'll just I, say mark wrote this book uh one of the best <laughs> reviews do, i ever got were from you was yeah, from you that's true i never re- i never read your book i'll yeah. do the audiobook version i love it <laughs> very good Guys, we have a thing. Uh, be sure to check back in 2022 when I release <laughs> if Bad it, Guys of if Board If anybody game does this, I'll, we'll sue them. <laughs> I'll sue the pants right off of you. Bad Guys of Board Game History. Copyright. Copyright. Mark Belial and RDP Productions. What's R- RDP Productions? Random Drop, Drop Podcast, podcast oh, okay. Productions. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it. It's our own podcast. <laughs> all right. Hilarious. So we all kind of know, I would say most of us kind of know the story of how Monopoly came to be, right? Charles Darrow invents the game of Monopoly whole cloth with nothing but innovation and the desire to entertain middle-class America. Very altruistic man. (laughs) Just like me. I'm so altruistic. Yeah, all of 1986. (laughs) After being rejected by several publishers, he goes to self-publish the game in the Philadelphia region. 
before getting picked up by Parker Brothers, and then it goes on to become a worldwide. Oh, he was a local boy. He's a local boy. Mm. Local to us. Local regionally is what yeah. I'll say. Basically goes on to be a worldwide classic. Yeah. Basically like one of the most important board games in American history. Do you think that's like the most money-making board game of all time, right? It's got to be up there, I would think, right? Yeah. I, it's got to... It's, because think of the amount of Monopoly games there are. Yeah. Like, there's Monopoly, name it, and it probably exists. Yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, she's a single strong woman. <laughs> yeah. There's the snarky socialism Monopoly, which, you That's know. That's just called Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> that is Monopoly. You've named Monopoly. Yeah. Uh, what if I told you guys that there's probably more to this story than what you're being told is true? Well, who am I being told this by? Yeah, I just, don't. I know I, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Mostly our good friends at Parker Brothers, and I oh, guess now no. Hasbro, because Hasbro now Kona owns they own all everything. That. What a large company lying to make themselves look better. That's I know. Say it ain't so. It's <laughs> wild, Dave. You're gonna. That doesn't <laughs> sound likely, Dave. Here's the deal. I'm gonna need you to just hear all of the facts first before you make up <laughs> okay. your mind about yeah, the don't... infallibility of corporate structures. I think. <laughs> I think that at the end of this, Hasbro will be the good guys in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know who the bad guy is? Everybody that bought Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trash game. Stop buying Monopoly. So this story goes back to 1879. Oh, man. This is 19 years after the Game of Life was first published. Now okay. I think he might have been an old Western gunslinger. <laughs> pew, pew. Oh, man. How Charles cool Darrow would that be? fought in the Civil War on the Confederate side. Ooh. <laughs> oh, is so that Monopoly. a fact or is no, that no. not? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, that'd be liable if he were still alive. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going to say, if he is, good on him. <laughs> yeah. Yowzer. No. So basically, in 1879, a gentleman by the name of Henry George publishes a book called Progress and Poverty. George argues in the book that a sizable portion of wealth cre- created by the social and technological advances in free markets is possessed by landowners and monopolists yep sure uh the main way (laughs) he goes on to say in the book that the main way that this wealth is extracted is by economic rents yep sure nothing has changed go on so uh strap up we're getting ahead of his time i should have warned you guys in advance there's a little bit of just a a, just just a taste of economic theory here uh the main the concentration of unearned wealth is the main cause of poverty, he argues. To point to this fact, he described the construction of railroads in California during a period of rapid growth and noted that land values and rents were increasing faster than wages paid to workers. So, yeah, so okay. Nothing has so changed. So everything's the same. Yeah. <laughs> History can't repeat itself if it never changes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just a continual. That's it's not true. even a cycle because a cycle has an ebb and flow. Yeah. yeah, this is all very uplifting on Labor Day. Excellent. <laughs> Labor Day weekend, everybody. I'm turning towards Mark's side about burning yeah. down. Yeah. Firebomb your bosses. Uh, conclude, and he then concluded that all lands should be public property and that all utilities, railroads, and telegraphs should be publicly held entities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fast okay. forward to. 1903. Hey, Washington, D.C. Hot, sultry summer afternoon. <laughs> the scene is so set right oh now. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. A woman named Elizabeth Lizzie McGee, a stenographer. <laughs> Wait, her middle name was Lizzie? Or? That was her nickname. Okay. Yeah, she go, she, her name was Elizabeth McGee. She went yeah. by Lizzie. Lizzie McGee. She was a stenographer, typist, and an actress. Uh, oh. Reads Progress and Poverty, a book from her political hero. Henry George. Oh. I don't have a political hero. You should get one. You, you should, should be this one. guy. Henry, Henry George. George. Maybe it's Henry George. <laughs> maybe, maybe I now have one. I can't wait till you know you start doing some reading about Henry George and realize <laughs> that he's got some terrible. real some real skeletons in that closet. <laughs> <laughs> if this was 1879. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine he was a good guy. <laughs> he may have been economically woke, but cool. You don't want to dig too deep. <laughs> Upon reading the book, she contemplates that all of the worst problems of the new century are directly tied to income inequality. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I'm, now I'm with her. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's my political hero. <laughs> <laughs> right? She decides that the best way to explore a topic like this is through the the burgeoning world of board games. I like the concept that mm. she thought it was a burgeoning world then. <laughs> yeah, like in eighteen. Fast or, forward, sorry, nineteen oh three. Fast forward a hundred years later. Yeah, like yep. think of how many games are coming out now, and that was a burgeoning board game world. It's so funny because it's all tied together. Because like when we talked about our kids episode, like we what we talked about the earliest board games, mm-hmm. and they were all built to teach lessons to people. Yeah, yeah. like so it's not unusual that she would think what do you think the lesson from fireball island is <laughs> buy a better game <laughs> to, to avoid eat more sheet cakes <laughs> stay far far from volcanoes yeah <laughs> erupting yeah, yeah. volcanoes i Done. think we should start looking for morals in all board games <laughs> you know what that should we should end every board game review with and the moral of this board yeah. game is <laughs> what you, dave what is your review and what did you take from this morally <laughs> Um, yeah, so she decides that she's going to introduce families uh, to George's ideas and begins to spend her evenings designing and redesigning a game. Wait, she designed Monopoly? Well, she designs a game called The Landlord's Game. Oh, I see. Bad guys at board game. Oh, All right. I, I, All is checking out now. I feel that a landlord is going to steal this idea. <laughs> Uh, in the landlord in the landlord's game, players bought and sold properties. They borrowed money from the bank and each other. It featured a circular path around the board rather than linear ones used by most contemporary board games at the time. Mm. If you like look at some of the Facebook posts that I've made, uh, you'll notice that the game of life used to be just a single line that kind of wound back and forth up the board. Mm. No choices. No choices. You just followed a straight path. This is like again a straight path, but it circles around the edges of the board. One corner had the poor house and public park. And the opposite corner had a space for jail. Got it. <laughs> Perfect. And perhaps the biggest homage to her political hero, another corner read, labor upon Mother Earth produces wages where players received $100. Oh, that was passing go. <laughs> yeah. That's a little wordy for me, but. <laughs> I know. Labor upon Mother Earth produces wages. <laughs> it's no, uh, <laughs> that's what I will say. Charles Darrow did get, uh, yeah. collect $200. That's my motto for life now. <laughs> Labor upon, Labor Mother, upon Earth. Mother Earth. Um, she also includes the words uh, on one of the corners, go to jail, which have lasted for more than a century. Oh, man. Right? Uh, she designed for no not- reason also. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Just go. I assume it's because you couldn't pay your bills. Debtor's You're prison. You're not too far away. Yeah, yeah, debtor's prison. She designed nine spaces per side of the board. At the center of each was a railroad. Does any of this sound familiar to you guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, real familiar. It doesn't sound... <laughs> it sounds like Monopoly that she clearly stole this game from. Clearly. <laughs> uh, some of the properties were named after various New York landmarks. Uh, when players went to jail, they paid a $50 fine or had to stay there until they got doubles. Lizzie also said that part of the fun of the game was to make fun and merriment when players went to jail or had bad things befall them. So okay, she's like, so that's like how I play board games. Yeah, yeah. She definitely, she definitely was a big proponent of like making fun of people when bad things happen to them, Good, which just I kind of like, dig. Yeah, real yeah life. we just all do like that. Real life. Uh, bankrupt players were sent to the poorhouse, and she actually created two sets of rules for this game. One was a monopolist set where the idea was to crush your opponents, <laughs> and a second set was called the anti-monopolist set in which players on the ropes could vote to overthrow their oligarch opponents and instead deposit <laughs> rent into the public good. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quote, she had a quote that I found. Quote, in, in a short time, I hope in a very short time, men and women will discover that they are poor because Carnegie and Rockefeller, maybe, have more than they know what to do with. Yeah. And that okay. was like yep. a quote that she wrote in an essay about the Landlord's Game. Yeah, so it was super super fascinating that she allowed players to have the authority to just be like, oh, no, we're playing by this other rule now, and we're all going to have a public fund that benefits all of us rather than just one person. Interesting. Yeah. Basically, as she was designing this game, she kind of uh, shared it as an invention of the public domain. 
She wanted to, as many people to get. Oh, huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted as many people to hear about Henry George's economic theories as possible. And again, like her whole thing was like, I'm going to design a fun way to spend an evening so that people could like hear these thoughts and then, you know, maybe pick up some of the theories. It'll change as well. their life. Basically, anybody who knew how to play the game essentially owned it. So there was like no, there was never a centralized claim to ownership hmm. until March 23rd, 1903, when she was awarded a patent for the landlord's game. Um, the game itself became very popular popular in left-wing circles and began to spawn homemade variations of the game with local uh, locations. Mm. So like Philadelphiaopoly and New Yorkopoly. <laughs> and Dogopoly. And Dogopoly. It's so Star weird. That you, why, why do you guys keep ending everything with Opoly? I don't understand <laughs> it. Simpsonsopoly. <laughs> game of Thronopoly. Yeah. Oh, gosh. One such variation took root in Atlantic City, of all places. Uh-oh where a group of Quakers adopted the game and began to spread uh, McGee's message of public lands, albeit with different property names taken directly from Atlantic City streets and locations. Quakeropoly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's actually what Monopoly should be called because that's the like current version. Yeah. I love it. I like the idea of there being an Oats Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't go to jail. You have to go to prayer meetings. <laughs> it's $50 if you want to end early. Yeah, you have to. You have, what was their whole deal? Like about belts versus buckles? Or... Oh, yeah. like bit, One of them was evil, I think. I think it was buttons. buttons. Buttons were evil, but buckles were okay. Well, tons of buckles. Buckles over <laughs> so buttons. That's what so I've learned. Buckles on their hats. <laughs> 30 years after it starts to kind of circulate in Atlantic City, Charles and Olive Todd, presumably introduced to the game by local acquaintances, invited an unemployed heating engineer named Charles Darrow to their home to play oh, the game, gun, which they called, famed quote, gunfighter. Famed <laughs> <laughs> Wild West gunfighter. Uh, they invited him to come to their home to play the Monopoly game. Oh, no. They even called it the Monopoly game? They called game? it the Monopoly game. No, mistake. Basically, he goes to their home, and he has a great time. And he asks for a copy of it. And so the Todds themselves made the copy. Oh, people just made their own versions? Yeah. Yeah. They would have like a board that they would like fashion. And huh. they, it was just kind of like, like I said, all through the public domain. Interesting. Yeah. Because like it was all, it's kind of like print and play board games now. Yeah. Mm. They just kind of circulate and then you make your own board and everything. So. That's crazy. Yeah. After the Todds uh, made Darrow a copy of the game, Charles continued to study it, asking for more advanced rules and even asking Charles Todd for a written copy of the rules. Whoa. Charles Todd admitted he didn't have a copy of the rules that no one ever had thought to write, write them down. As far as he knew, a written version of the rules didn't exist. So Monopoly used to be just an oral tradition board game. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. weird, right? That's crazy. Yeah. A short time later, on a completely unrelated note, Charles Darrow contacted Parker Brothers about a, an attempt to sell a game that he was calling Monopoly. Oh, oh that rat snake. <laughs> that rat fink. <laughs> that rat fink. Parker Brothers initially uh, said, no, it's okay. We're not going to buy that. Um, oh, dummies. And they gave, him a, they gave him a rather lengthy list of things that they thought were wrong with the game. <laughs> I'd love to read that. Like, did you find a copy of the list? Could or? not find a copy of the oh. list. Because oddly enough, a lot of this uh, documentation wasn't saved. Shocking. You don't say. <laughs> you mean about a, an oral tradition board games documentation? <laughs> yes. Yes. For some reason, Parker Brothers didn't hold on to any of this initial information. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, so Charles says, hey, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start my own company. I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this board game and I'm going to try to sell it to people. Yeah. Gunfighter Inc. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, slinging he, dice. <laughs> yeah. Slinging dice like I sling that lead. <laughs> <Pew>! <laughs> 
Charles stocked the game in a Philadelphia department store where it became enough of a success to warrant a second look from Parker Brothers. Oh, wait a second. Whoa. Three years later, in 1935, Charles Darrow sold the game to Parker Brothers. For what? Like $300? Yeah. I have no idea what it was. $300 and a box of tea. (laughs) (laughs) I do know that Charles Darrow eventually became fabulously wealthy from Monopoly. Oh. Yeah. I bet he became a landlord. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Uh, He sold the game to Parker Brothers, worked out a royalty deal, and then basked in the success as Monopoly sold two million copies during the first two years it was on the market wow that's crazy for them too yep the deal saved parker brothers from bankruptcy uh they were going through like some real economic hard times makes sense in the 30s and then um (laughs) you're claiming that the depression hit hit parker brothers hard right people didn't use disposable income on board games during the great depression (laughs) exactly shocking i don't think this this was done correctly mark (laughs) you need to go back and look at this yeah i'm gonna need to take a second look at my research i'm sorry guys but uh, it also made uh, Darrow a super rich man. Hmm. Charles himself went on to say that he himself invented the game. Oh. Quote, quote, being unemployed at the time and badly needing anything to occupy my time, I made by hand a very crude game for the sole purpose of amusing myself. Oh my gosh, he didn't even make the game. He had wow. someone else make it for him. Yep. So he just straight gaslights everyone. Yeah, he wrote this in a letter to Parker Brothers like as he was trying to sell the game. After Parker Brothers bought the game from Darrow, they realized they had in the past been contacted by a woman named Lizzie oh, McGee no. about a game called The Landlord's Game, going so far as to encourage her to seek a patent for the game. So when she was awarded the patent in 1903, it oh, was so because she had a patent. She for the had game. a patent for it. And it's because Parker Brothers uh, encouraged her to get a patent for it. Oops. <laughs> I, I bet that guy got fired, right? They're like, whoever encouraged her to get a patent? It was very funny. So they, they encouraged her to seek a patent. So 30 years after the fact, they come to her and they say, hey, you know, we really like the idea of your board game. We want to buy it from you. And not only that, we want to publish it. And she's like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. Like having like financial backing from somebody who is like a publisher. Yeah would make these ideas like more mainstream. So they offered her $500 for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Basically, they offered her $500 for the full legal rights to the Landlord's Game and two other games that she had invented in the intervening years. Oh, wow. Ma- uh, McGee accepted the offer, uh, oh, hoping no. that her left-wing message would find a receptive ears and a lot of larger audience. It did not. <laughs> it no. did not. Because you know what happened when Parker Brothers bought the rights to the Landlord's Game? Yeah. They buried it. Oh, man. <laughs> the Landlord's Game never saw the light of day, and neither of McGee's other two games that they had bought and published uh, had much success. She spent much of her later years saddened by the fact that the very concepts she had designed the game to discuss in combat had become the very things that Monopoly had That's celebrated. Yep. <laughs> Charles Darrow himself would go on to make millions of dollars in royalty, becoming a very rich man who lived out his days raising cattle, growing orchids, and bragging to reporters. Oh, about a game that he <laughs> stole. Yep. When he died, Darrow was commemorated with a plaque in Atlantic City near Park Place on the boardwalk. As for Lizzie McGee, she only got a small obituary without any mention of her part in the story, doomed to fade into obscurity like a business crushed beneath the heels of corporate monopolies. That's crazy. Right? Man. Yeah, I hate that there's so many bad guys in my favorite pastime. (laughs) Like, I really do. I... I want board games to be nice. I want more co-ops. I want <laughs> more co-op. business daddy co-ops. <laughs> business daddy co-op games. You know what? If we start a board game company, that's what it's going to be called. Yeah. Business, business daddy, daddy co-op <laughs> Business daddy co-op. Hey, guys, check out our new board game company, business daddy co-op. <laughs> That's crazy. She, oh, oh man. man, I feel so bad that she got so it's so messed up, right? Parker Brothers, come on. 
So you may be asking yourselves, how did any of this become public knowledge? Yeah, I did ask myself that. I didn't ask myself that, but now I am. Yeah, now I'm wondering. (laughs) And that's because this story isn't over quite yet. What? What? Right? 1973, a person named Ralph Anspach, who is a left-wing academic living in Berkeley, California. What year was this? uh, 1973. Okay. He is a huge board game enthusiast, loved playing it. (laughs) Depending on who you ask, if you ask him, uh, he got the idea for this game because, you know, he wanted to push a more left-wing theory about economics. Mm -hmm. If you ask his eight-year-old son, it's because he was crushed in Monopoly by him one night. So his eight-year-old uh, beats him like a mule in a game of Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, Anspach decides he's going to invent a game called Anti-Monopoly, in which the end state of the game of Monopoly was the starting state of his game. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've gone poor, now you start the new game? Right. So now so it now it's like real life. <laughs> yes. The, so basically, like the end of Monopoly, where one player owns everything, is the beginning of Anti-Monopoly. And it's up to a cooperative of players to try and break up the monopoly that one person owns. That's pretty funny. Oh, that's, I mean, Firebomb's house, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start we by already fire, know the answer. Start by going to your boss's house. <laughs> Maybe I am on Mark's side. <laughs> Basically, monopolists would try to protect their monopolies while trustbusters would attempt to break them up. Uh, he designed and published the game and began selling copies uh, before receiving a cease and desist letter from Parker Brothers, warning him that he is infringing on Monopoly's patent and they plan on suing him. Whoa. Right? Parker Brothers, bunch of dirt bags. <laughs> <laughs> he has a decision to make. He's like, all right, I can either run the risk of getting sued by Parker Brothers or I can continue to talk about left-wing economic theory. So he decides that he's going to continue publishing the game. Oh. <laughs> Good for him. Pretty bold. Right? Yeah. He's, he continues to sell the game. And the decision that basically Hickox kicks off a decade-long legal struggle oh between gosh. himself and Parker Brothers. Really? Yeah. Was his game even fun? <laughs> I don't really know if it was this fun This isn't about fun day. <laughs> it's about <laughs> principles. Board me. games aren't about fun. <laughs> My it's bad. About, it's about morals and what you can learn from them. Yeah, what are you learning from your game? God, I can't wait to start this. We ne- really need to start just <laughs> one moral per board game. Like that old Animaniacs bit. <laughs> wheel of morality. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> Tell us the lesson that we should learn. I love in the wheel of morality. Moral <laughs> so he leaves Berkeley and he goes to Portland, Oregon oh. uh, to do marketing. And while he's on a radio show there, he receives a phone call on air from someone claiming to have played a version of Monopoly in the Great Depression before the Parker Brothers started manufacturing. Oh. So he's obviously taken aback because he's never heard this story before. And while doing research about the claim, Anspock's son discovers a passage in a book called A Toy is Born. That mentions Lizzie McGee and her game, The Landlord's Game. Wow. Anspach basically follows the threads of the story to Atlantic City to the same Quaker group that designed the version of The Landlord's Game that Charles Darrow lifted from Charles Todd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they weren't aware of Lizzie McGee either. Oh, man. Because, again, Where did they is, get it then? It just kind like of made its way. Kind of yeah, word of mouth. He starts doing all this research and he contacts the U.S. Patent Office and finds that, that, that in 1903... Lizzie McGee had gotten a patent for the landlord's game. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah I guess that's a public document you could actually yeah. find. Right? So he says, I got something to work with now. Yeah. Like, I've got this patent for this game that looks nearly identical to Monopoly in a lot of ways. So he brings this to Parker Brothers, and Parker Brothers offers him $500,000 and an executive position on their board. Wow. Right? They're like, they, rut row. Because <laughs> at this point, like, they've made so much money on Monopoly and will continue to yeah. make a ton of money yep. on Monopoly. Anspock declines. He's yeah. like, no, we're going to court. No, gotcha now. Uh, and he decides that he's going to take the case to trial. So three years after all of this like starts, like the first legal part of the proceed, the first legal proceeding takes place. In 1976, Anspach's defense team puts seven witnesses on the stand 
to testify that they had played versions of Monopoly before Parker Brothers manufactured it. They also called to the stand former Parker Brothers president Robert Barton, the man pivotal to Charles Darrow receiving his patent to the stand. Barton, while under oath, admitted he was aware of the full history of the game and that Darrow himself was not the sole inventor of it. Wow. Right? Was Darrow still alive at this time? What's that? Was Darrow still alive I think Darrow died in the 50s. Oh, I'm sad that he didn't get it rubbed in his face. He didn't get some comeuppance. Yeah, that makes me sad. That would have been great. I can't believe I didn't write when he died. Maybe I did. Wait for it. No, I did not. Failure. (laughs) (laughs) We found the thing. (laughs) We found the question. It's always one. Like, as far as Ampok's concerned, he's got him dead to rights. Yeah. Trial proceeds, and he lost. (laughs) Yeah, but didn't Parker Brothers buy the patent? What's that? Didn't Didn't Parker Brothers buy the patent? So that means, like, he doesn't have a leg to stand on because they bought the patent. He was saying that just because they owned the patent on Monopoly doesn't mean that he can't make like a similar version of that game. That's his argument. Mm, that's not a good argument. Yeah. Well, I was more on That's what patents with... mean. Yeah, that's literally how patents work. So he figured that he he had like a really good court case to stand on because they were claiming to be the sole originator of the game even though it was originally It's kind of like how it was shareware. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like how you can't own something that's in the public domain. Right. So he's saying that their patent shouldn't count because it's a public domain game. Mm, gotcha. So, but anyway, he loses the trial. <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> yep. Basically, the judge ruled in favor of Parker Brothers. He was ordered to cease production of Anti-Monopoly, and the Parker Brothers seized anywhere from 7,000 to 40,000 copies of the game from the oh warehouse. Wow. That's a big difference also. Seven, yeah. So, <laughs> seven to 40,000? They claimed, they claimed the higher number. Oh, Parker yeah. Brothers says, I mean, but it's, again, like when you get all these people involved, you yeah, don't really he's know. he's like, what? I didn't have 40,000. <laughs> <laughs> I, right? I only made 6,000 copies. So Parker Brothers took the games and called a press conference, and in the weirdest corporate flex in board game history, <laughs> had them buried on film in a landfill in rural Minnesota. What? Confident that they were also burying the story of the landlord's game once and for all. Uh, they did not, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. But all hope wasn't lost. And Spock filed an appeal that took the case to the California Appellate Court, where the judge there concluded that Parker Brothers had committed fraud, overturned the verdict of the previous court, and awarded Anne Spock a seven-figure settlement, including damages for the destroyed copies of Anti Monopoly. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Eat it, Parker Brothers. Yeah. So he's until like, that's overturned at the next Appellate Court. <laughs> well, Parker Brothers, <laughs> Dave. Oh, how did I know that was coming? Parker Brothers, supported by amicus briefs from every major industry group and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So at this point, Parker Brothers has the full backing of the U.S. government. Right. Appealed the decision to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1982. So this is 11 years. No, sorry, nine years after after it all he first started. publishes it's, it. It's a board game before the Supreme Court. Yep, yep, Big money, baby. Yep, I believe this is like one of the first times, like if not the only time, that a board game has shown up and like attached to in a case being yeah. presented to the Supreme Court. That's so insane. The Supreme Court looks at it and says, "Nah, we're not going to hear this case." Oh, Good they threw them. it out. <laughs> yep, they threw it out, which basically upholds the appellate court's decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, Anspach himself had nearly been bankrupted, had mortgaged his home three times, Oof. nearly lost his game business, and had distributors stop working with him during the court case. But finally, both himself and the legacy of Lizzie McGee had been vindicated. In 2012, when interviewed, Anspach said he had sold over 470,000 copies of Anti-Monopoly, mostly in European markets, because Parker Brothers had made good use of its board game Monopoly to prevent him from getting access (laughs) to better markets. Mm. Irony! For their part, Hasbro, who now owns Parker Brothers, continues to perpetuate the myth of Charles Darrow. In response to an interview request to the Guardian article I've referenced uh, in the footnotes this week, 
Hasbro replied, quote, Hasbro credits the official Monopoly game produced and played today to Charles Darrow. In 2015, they even published a timeline of Monopoly's history, which begins in 1932 with Charles Darrow patenting the game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. So they're just happily perpetuating a lie and don't care. Despite losing a court case yeah. saying yep. the opposite. Despite literally the Supreme Court yeah. saying you're wrong, yep. they're just perpetuating a yep. lie. They just, the thing about truth is, Dave, is you just if you just keep repeating your version of it, it Loud becomes long true. Enough. Right. Um, That's why I keep saying we're good at podcasting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just make it happen. As for Lizzie McGee, her role in all of this is finally being more widely discussed. Books have been written about the struggle between the ultra-capitalist themes of Monopoly and the more populist, progressive-leaning of the Landlord's Game, a struggle that continues to persist and reverberate through our contemporary culture today. Uh, finally, as like one of the weirdest facts of this story, a group of people inspired by Henry George, the economist that once inspired Lizzie McGee over 100 years ago, banded together in the year 1900 to form the Village of Arden, a small, single-tax community in northern Delaware outside of Wilmington. Oh. <laughs> right? Lizzie McGee visited Arden and playtested the earliest versions of the Landlord's Game there. There in the village of Arden exists the oldest alpha version of the Landlord's Game that exists today. Oh, that's, that's only crazy. like an hour and a half from us. That is correct. That is only an hour and a half from us, Dave. I can, feel can like we, we need, go see it. Well, yeah, we need to make a hajj. It is kept. <laughs> oh, boy. It's kept. <laughs> nope. Uh, nope. <laughs> really, knocked, really knocked me off, off there. <laughs> Uh, it's kept under lock and key. Uh, you have to contact the guy who owns it. Um, I believe that's all in my notes. So we could write an email and hope for the best. I, I yeah. love writing. E I write emails all the time. Yep. So there you go. That's the story of Lizzie McGee and the Landlord's Game. And oh, how man. she was ripped off by Charles Darrow and Parker Brothers. Charles Darrow's a real dirtbag. Yeah, man. So most Parker of these, Brothers. Most of these board game bad guys are real dirtbags. That makes sense. Yep. I reiterate, I am extremely disappointed that a hobby I love so much that should be about people coming together and having fun has so many horrible humans in you're, it. You're upset your board game forefathers yes <laughs> i also am upset by monopoly because it's just so true i mean I, before yeah. i was born every inch of land on this planet was owned mm -hmm. before i was born and i owned none of it so <laughs> like like it is true yeah. everything's already owned and i it can't do is, anything about it it is fascinating how much of this is still like applicable to our like current economic yeah. situation yeah that's crazy yeah what it's wild man there I'm you glad, go i'm glad that one guy was vindicated though and spock yeah, yeah that dude he like i said he nearly lost everything in the process but, but then came out a millionaire came out, well he came out okay yeah <laughs> i don't think like i said he's only sold four hundred and seventy thousand. well he won a lawsuit though he, he did won, win yeah, a lawsuit yes yeah, so my biggest years. sadness in this whole thing is that i guarantee it in no way hurt parker brothers oh no i'm sure Hasbro was perfectly just fine, fine. Yeah. yeah that's so crazy anyway that's an uplifting happy labor day everybody happy labor, day. labor upon mother earth produces <laughs> wages <laughs> That is episode number 34 of a board game podcast. If you would like to contact us, please send us an email at randomjobpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram page. There's pictures of all the games we play up there. If you'd like to have an in-depth discussion about anything, yeah. just contact us through our Facebook page. Right, Mark? Right. Go and to facebook.com. Hit that magnifying glass. Oh, Tell me about what you did to celebrate Labor Day. Yeah. And uh, why that your wages upon Mother Earth are, Tell me about your wages are important upon to Mother Earth. <laughs> and uh, also, and open call. If you have heard any like stories about bad guys of board games, like tell me. I'm interested. I want to learn more. 
And if I get that information, it'll show up on an episode eventually. Yeah. And and Mark's Twitter is back up and running. Back up and running. Random Drop Podcast. At Twitter Random Drop account. Pod. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You check me out there. Tweet at me. Let's be weird online. <laughs> nope. <laughs> this is why I don't do social media. All weird <laughs> you stuff. You right there. Uh, mm. Yeah. If, be sure to subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Our podcasts come out every other Wednesday. But what time during the day is... Up to uh, nobody. Up to, up to Dave Hubbard. It's up to <laughs> and Daniel Mann. It's, yeah, it's, it's up a to mixture. a combination of us. Uh, but it will come out every other Wednesday. So if you are subscribed, it'll just download right there and it'll show up and you can listen and be so amazed. Yeah. <laughs> and now for something completely different. So this this mathematician's name is Percy Diaconis. Yeah, that's and a great name. He, he's the guy that figured out, and he's still alive, he's a professor of statistics and mathematics at Stanford, but he figured out how, like, it was a 23-page paper on the math on how many shuffles it takes to, like, perfectly randomize, and then there was, like, this whole thing about what is random. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah, so it was, like, this whole thing, but it was funny on this podcast, the guy was, like, he's, like, all right, we sent you guys a link of the math, and they were going through it, and they're, like, well, I don't understand any of this, (laughs) and he goes, and this math professor at Cornell's, like, yeah, I don't 100% understand all of it. He's, like, but it's, it's, like, pretty high-level stuff. That's crazy. Like, and it's just about shuffling cards? Yeah. So this guy might be my new hero, Percy Diaconis. So when he was a kid, he ran away to follow magicians. What? Okay. <laughs> so he, That's great. he like went out, joined a circus to learn about magic, and then he got really into math. And mm-hmm. they said if you ask him to flip a coin and land it on heads 50 times in a row, he can do it because wow. he's like a master at sleight of hand. And like you won't even notice. It's like this crazy oh, thing. Oh, that's really funny. I'm way into this guy. I Percy like the idea of him doing like a high level math instruction like lecture and then like incorporating magic into it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to suddenly in the background, it's like him scrawling uh, notes on a chalkboard and then he turns around and starts going da 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 Well, that's what was so crazy because they said the only reason he did this shuffling thing because he was so into magic and sleight of hand, he was like curious about it. So like for fun, he wrote this like... <laughs> 23-page math paper. I mean, he's exactly what I think a, like, old, like, crazy professional math guy would look. Like, his hair's all wild, Uh and he's, like... Just always smiling. I like that. I like that in my old wizened mathematician oh, yeah. slash magicians. I want to be slightly insane. Math magicians. <laughs> Did oh. he have a tweed jacket with uh No, elbow he patches? doesn't he doesn't roll like that. Yeah. He's too wild. You need roomier <laughs> you need roomier coats for the rabbits. <laughs> I, I prefer the idea of him wearing like jeans but then a coat with tails. <laughs> <laughs> jeans, sandals with yeah, socks, yeah, and a coat, coat with, with tails. tails. Now for my next trick, I'll saw this fractal in half. <laughs> Let me see if I can't. So many oh, polynomials. This is, this is like the perfect. This is like the perfect. Oh yeah, that guy's picture. great. Like I love him already. Oh yeah, that dude yeah. looks like, like a professor. That... Picture. And yeah. he's got a coin in his hand. He's like happy as can be. I will say, do Google Percy. Percy Diaconis. Diaconis. So his name's Percy P E R S I. Okay. And then Diaconis. He's crazy. I love him. He couldn't teach me anything because I can't wrap my hand around that stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I'm here for the coin. flip this coin oh i think i saw something that time man so that means if there's like 52 cards
cards, and the odds are that you've never, no one in the world has ever played with a deck of cards in the same order ever in the history of yeah, all cards. Because the number you get from that math is sixty-eight digits long. Like that's how many different that's ways one in that number of yeah. chances of getting. Because that and the way the guy was saying it is like, okay, here's how you do it. You take the first card. So there's a fifty-two, right? Fifty-two uh-huh. cards, and then it's fifty-two times fifty-one, and then you take that off, and then it's like fifty-one. 51 times 50 and then 50 times 49 and you just keep going till there's no more cards left in the deck and then you multiply that all together and it's 68 digits long wow (laughs) that's how he came up with it huh that's crazy i would assume that like given a long enough like length of time like all of the card games at least one repetition yeah Yeah. well that's and then he was saying like he was trying to explain the difference between a million and a billion and uh he is huge well he used time yeah. And he said, so like a million seconds is like 11 days or something like that. Okay. And then a billion seconds is like 42 years or something. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like, oh, okay. And then a trillion seconds was like thousands of years. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I don't, I don't get it. It's so funny because like I, I always remember the video that I saw on, of all places, TikTok where this guy was breaking down. <laughs> like, I'm ashamed to be in the same room with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's a good platform for, for learning how to dance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair. Fair uh, enough. How else am I going to learn how to do the WAP dance without TikTok? Um, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> really? Because he'll explain it, but depending on the company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> that's very true. It I means... totally forgot. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so funny. I would think I was explaining WAP to, to was it to Dave? It was to Dave and Candy came in and you like look like you were like, well, it stands for it. And then you saw Candy and you just like, <laughs> I, I like looked at her out of the corner of your eye and then she walked <laughs> off and you looked really nervous. And she's like, I know what it means. <laughs> now yeah, it I, re- so, now I so recall funny. this conversation. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so it was like the difference between the amount of money that a million- millionaire has versus the amount of money that Jeff Bezos has. Yeah. And like each grain of rice was a dollar. Like it was a sizable mound of rice for a million. Yeah. Yeah. A million grains worth. But like it was, it was <laughs> instructive because he had to go to the store and buy 20 pound sacks of rice to fully illustrate how much money Jeff Bezos has. And it was wild. It was like a truckload of white rice. I could use some that money. Yeah. Yeah. That is why I believe billionaires cannot do it without stealing from others. He is worth that, but he does not have that. Not like he like prints out a receipt from his bank and it says like <laughs> 32 billion. Could you imagine that receipt? <laughs> it's it would look like one of those old CVS receipts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like six feet long with just yeah. zeros on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You'd like it would you like come like with a, in a parchment style where you could just unfurl <laughs> it. Unroll it. You know what's funny is, you know those Venetian blinds? Like, I have some at my house on my sliding glass door. I saw somebody that said they've been using a CVS receipt as a replacement blind for like a year. <laughs> and it was like six feet long. It was all the way to the ground. That's very funny. cracking me up. Yeah, I love it. That makes a lot of sense, it's actually. So, it's so good. I, don't, I haven't, I've been to CVS recently, and I don't think they do that anymore, but their old receipts used to be like, I would buy a pack of gum, and it'd be like, it'd be like four t- feet long. Yeah, it'd be four, Which doesn't make sense. Long. Like, that costs you money. It's what crazy. are you doing? Yeah. No. Yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those drugstores have just absurd receipts. There's a Rite Aid by work, by where I work, and I go in there, and it's the slowest process to check out of all time. There's mm. no one ever behind the counter. They're always like <laughs> stocking the shelves at the back of the store, 
and I'm just standing at the counter and there's no way to alert them that I'm there. And then when they come up, I see them walking from far away because they're 400 years old. And they're just like, <laughs> I'm coming. And then they like can't figure out the keyboard and it's always something. And I keep going back because out of convenience, but it takes me forever. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Oh, man. We were driving through uh, D.C. on the way back to um, – the home after our the little home. mini vacation. Oh yeah, where you didn't get killed. I know where I didn't get killed. I know. Speaking of which, anytime, Dan. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't want you to expect it's it. Minutes from done. <laughs> Preferably on air. I think that'd really give a boost to our ratings if you murdered me on there. David, make sure you make sure my mixing's good. Yeah, <laughs> my, make sure my dying can... screams. I want to hear his last words. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna turn it down depending on how loud he screams. I don't want him to top out. <laughs> my my last words were: Tell the world it was asthma. <laughs> I need a computer chair because I'm just sitting in like a regular chair and I want to play video games for five hours at a time. Yeah, you're and it just it hurts like, my back so bad. Your butt literally goes oh numb. Oh my gosh, it's so terrible. So yeah. I was like, I need to get a new chair. And of course, we like go to Marshalls and they just don't have anything anymore because yeah. of pandemic, I guess. So we just we couldn't find one. I'm gonna have to order one online. But I was like, we're going to the game store, and I wasn't even sure if that was open because who knows anymore. But oh yeah, it, yeah, none of it makes sense. Yeah, but it was open. But he did say, you know what? His mask was off the whole time I was in that store. Just <laughs> realized though, the guy that was working there. Have you guys noticed that? Like, if you see somebody in a store without a mask on, like you notice. Well, I wouldn't say you because you didn't notice. I didn't notice until it... now because I asked him if he had. I asked him two questions. I said, "Can I use your bathroom?" And he said, "It's out of order." And then, <laughs> well, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "What?" And then I asked if he had that game we were just talking about, Feast for Odin, mm-hmm. and he, all he had was the expansion. And he's like, "Do you want the expansion?" I was like, <laughs> "No, no, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm I don't own the game." Actually, thank you. It was crazy when we were in West Virginia. Like I could not get over the number of people who were just like existing without a mask. Well, yeah, because it's all, all fake. Uh, yeah, I guess it just depends on your community. Your masks don't don't protect you from five G networks. <laughs> <laughs> you know the that you know, five G network signal goes right through that mask. <laughs> yeah, that goes right to your brain. There's not a lead plate in it. Yeah, yeah. that's why I wear lead boxers at all times. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. You don't want to have mutant, you should, mutant you should see babies. My, yeah, but you should see my calves. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were getting big. That explains it. <laughs> like lead lined boxers. I don't know, man. It was wild. West Virginia is a beautiful state, but those people are out of control there. Okay. It's a real shame. Stop <laughs> crapping shame all too, over the state. It's no, I like West Virginia. It's nice. Yeah, that's not what I heard. <laughs> it's just like some of those small towns. Like, it just reminds me too much of where I grew up. Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma. Like, where Mark goes sweeping through the plains. <laughs> yep. So I found out, like, the people who made the most memorable pizza jingle I've ever heard. Like, when I... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What? <laughs> Went out of business oh, like no. two years ago in Lawton, Oklahoma. Pizza time, rust and power. I need to hear this yeah, jingle, the Mark. jingle. Oh, it goes, pizza time is party time. Calling it time for pizza time. Pizza time, pizza, it's party time. Thank and, you. I, <laughs> and I've known that jingle since I was like at least seven wow. years old. I this can't. has got to be the first product we officially <laughs> Well, they're out of business. <laughs> they're out of business. Oh, man. Uh, we yeah. were too late. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're not going to get royalties on that one. Yeah, and I was like humming it the other day, and I was like, holy cow, like where did that come Do you from? Google it? And then I, I yeah, I got oh, on the man. Facebook page. And it was, it's been out of business since 2017. Their Facebook page is still active. Yeah, it was, real, it, it, down. it was real sad. They were like, after 50 years of, or not 50, after like 30 years of business, like pizza time is going out of business. If anybody wants to buy it to keep the tradition going, let us know. And because it's Oklahoma and everything's poor there, no one's like even answered it. Like, oh, well, it's a shame to see you go. Bye. <laughs> I've got $20. Yeah. 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 But, but why would you buy, I guess if it's a big time franchise, you could buy it and yeah. use the name. Yeah. Pizza time. <laughs> 
I mean, it's a great jingle, right? It's fine. You should get the rights to the jingle, Mark. How much do you think the the rights to a jingle for a out-of-business business would be? I tell you what, I will write them. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like, hey, (laughs) your jingle I'd love to use for our podcast (laughs) intro theme. Can I get the download, please? It doesn't make sense. We're a board game podcast. (laughs) And then it could be our outro, pizza time jingle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then we'll just scour the earth for pizza time restaurants and then start suing them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or try to sell them that jingle. Like, hey, boy, do we have an yo, earworm of a jingle for you? Yo, check jingle. it. I bet I could find it. Hold on. The pizza time the jingle. Pizza, I bet it's on. I bet somebody's put it on YouTube. I'm sure that it's not expensive to buy a jingle. The rights to a jingle. This <laughs> for it's out a of business. business. It's out of business. <laughs> the big or not the big, but like my favorite. Pe- Whoa, no, I'm sorry. That's Whoa. That's uh that's paper planes by MIA. <laughs> Dave, you have to blur that out because we'll get sued. <laughs> you didn't play enough of it. What do you have? To, four bars, right? Yeah, I think it's four bars. Pizza time lot in Oklahoma. Hold on. Pizza place I loved the most when I was growing up was called Round Table Pizza. And it was like a King Arthur themed. Oh, that's pretty cool. It was fine. <laughs> like it wasn't well implemented. It's just like on hold the on. sign. I think I might have. Is this it? Oh, hold on. This can't be it, can it? No. Did someone do a remix of it? Oh, that'd be <laughs> great. That's even this better. Is like, no, this is just like a local spot it looks like. It I was sounds, really hoping. Because you hear this jingle on the radio all the time. It sounds like the Knight Rider theme. Oh, yeah, that's not synth hit. Yeah. This sounds like something I would see someone doing aerobics no. to. <laughs> like, All like, neon spandex? Yeah, neon spandex. You're and the weird it. one that's cut, like, way above the hip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was there pizza good? Uh, yeah, I remember the pizza being pretty good. Like, the deal, I can tell you what the deals were back <laughs> in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> they really had a great marketing yeah plan is what's going on here like that's amazing marketing that you still remember i still remember the jingle right that's that's the thing is like i'm trying to think if i can remember any current jingle yeah that's like the most that's mcdonald's (laughs) empire right that's a good one yeah that's (laughs) a good one i don't know if i got the number right though like i just said numbers (laughs) which makes it not a great jingle Okay, let's see. Oh, yeah. What 2017, is it? it's okay. game day. This was, I guess, their Super Bowl post or whatever. Oh, hey. Oh, no, no. This was in September. So this is like just a regular old football season. Uh, it was a large four-topping pizza and half a pound of wings for $17. Half a pound of wings? Half How a pound of wings. Who sells wings by the pound? Yeah, in Oklahoma, no you do. If <laughs> yeah. you've got a sweet jingle. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> you sell wings you by the pound. Let's half see. a pound of wings. I-, I wonder how many wings that is. Yeah, I mean, I always order wings by the number of yeah, wings. Yeah, like I will take half a dozen wings <laughs> makes sense to me. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Back in May 19th, 2017, uh-huh. they posted about a large pizza with up to five toppings for only $9.99 plus tax. Oh, what a deal. What's yeah. the tax rate? Yeah. I was like eight and a quarter 43%. when I left. Eight yeah. and a quarter? That's pretty high. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever just sometimes go, I like living in Delaware. Yeah, Delaware. Oh, all the time. Zero percent. I but, really yeah. like going and buying anything, and then it's that price. You know what else That's I like? Favorite. Ordering things online, then saying I'm from Delaware, and then also paying no sales yeah, tax. Yeah, very much so. Oh, here you go. St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> In 2017, they had a special. It was three medium one-topping pizzas for four dollars and sixty-seven cents each. So fifteen bucks for three pizzas. Basically, I yeah. mean that's perfectly fine. Maybe that's why they went out of business because <laughs> their prices were killer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't seem to find the jingle. You'll just have to take my word for it that it's like super. That's catchy. what. I, that's what else I read somewhere or heard on this math podcast. Maybe it's better value to buy one large pizza than two mediums because yeah. the size is bigger. That you yeah. have more size. Yeah. It's more circum, more area. Yeah, pizza. they were going over the math.
math and I was like, I've heard enough. I trust you. Yeah, you don't have to. Like, what were you listening? What was this podcast? Not that we'd chill another podcast. I can't even remember podcast. the name of it, but people will call up and ask a question, like some crazy question. The host will get experts on the show to, and then they'll call the person and like these experts will give them the answer. That is cool. I mean, it's fine. Uh, that is I neat. think the host was really good. And then like one we listened to, Amber thought it was good and I couldn't stand the lady. So this lady called up and was like, hey, I don't understand. How come when we describe food, we can only use like other foods to describe that food? Like, oh, this meat tastes like chicken or whatever. <laughs> so she was trying to describe corn, like the taste of corn, not like the texture of mm-hmm. corn, but the taste of corn, why she couldn't describe like that. slightly sweet, buttery, because yeah. I put butter on it. The, you're Salty, because des- I put salt You're describing it. butter and salt now. <laughs> but, but that's exactly it. Yeah, you're using yeah. other food to describe it. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, that makes sense because food is such a necessity. Like everyone understands. Everyone has eaten food and well, knows certain flavors. Well, so. their, their answer to it, one of the things they were talking about was like alligator so like you would say like Mm. oh it tastes like chicken but like what if no one that person's never had chicken come on so so, (laughs) no because they they were giving examples of Uh, like people that have never had chicken probably like like like, there's places where there's chicken is not native to that area yeah yeah so i feel like if you've never had chicken the odds of you having had alligator are higher yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) you you already know what alligator tastes like what's chicken tastes like alligator But anyway, they got land alligator. I don't know. Yeah. Say they got this lady on, and her job for like the past thirty years was like food describer. Oh, and it weird. was just like right. she was so weird about it, and it's just like what she just she just name. rubbed me the wrong way. So they were just like naming foods and having her describe them really quickly. But it was like all pretty lame. So they're like mayonnaise, and she's like eggy. And like it was just like stuff like that. I'm like, oh, oh, you don't seem great at this. No. But <laughs> For 30 years of practice, she said when she goes to a restaurant with her family, she'll like close her eyes and like start describing the, the her food that she's eating. I'm so, I was like, she sounds insufferable. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I would hate to be around her. I would like to not go to dinner with you. Yeah, unless, yeah, yeah. Unless we're splitting a value pizza. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless that dinner is at Pizza Time Pizza in Oklahoma. <laughs> Insert the song that Mark just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. definitely going to cut out Mark singing the song and just play it again. I will That's see crazy. if I can find it while I'm editing this podcast. And if pizza. I can, then I'll put it at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. I'm going to keep looking for it, too. Don't if worry. you find it, let me know. Send me that link, Mark. You were really into it. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Man, I wish I knew like a theme from my childhood that wasn't cartoon-based. Yeah. yeah I was like, say, like, I could sing theme songs from cartoons. Yeah, I'll give you the Gummy Bears theme song. Oh, that's, that's so weird. That's the one I was thinking really? of. Oh, it's so iconic. Game over, man. Game over! Pizza time is party time. Calling it time for pizza time. Pizza time, pizza, it's party time.